Hey friends, welcome back to the Fitz Nation podcast. To all of those here in the States that celebrate Thanksgiving, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving weekend. It is Friday morning after Thanksgiving as I record this, or Friday afternoon, I guess. Holiday weekend, no UFC, kind of started losing track of time at this point. Just trying to get the kid back in school on a Monday, right? Try to get back to life as normal as we can. Anyways, I'll keep this introduction brief. Just wanted to fire out this episode. As always, if you want to watch it, it's available on UFC Fight Pass in video form, or you can listen to it on the UFC app as well. But if you're listening here, then why change over? Cody Durden's a UFC flyweight competitor. Uh, made his UFC debut In 2020, during the pandemic, short notice, he went up a weight class. He fought Chris Gutierrez, and he fought him to a draw. And doesn't that look good right now to fight Chris Gutierrez up a weight class to a draw after what Gutierrez just did to Frankie Edgar and the unbeaten streak that he's on? And I believe he's ranked at bantamweight now, which is no easy task these days. And Cody Durden, on short notice, took him to a draw. Since then, he's kind of gone back and forth in the uh, win and loss column. But recently, I think he got back-to-back victories. One over J.P. Bay is a big first-round finish. And then most recently, he... uh, Fought hard over three rounds and got himself a decision victory. So back-to-back for Cody Durden. He's a fun fighter to watch, man. For 125 pounds, he has a lot of finishes, and he has a lot of first-round finishes. And I remember how um, emotional he was when he got into the UFC, the journey that he had been on as a high school wrestler, leaving scholarships on the table, real life, having a kid young, having to go to work, but still chasing the dream of being a pro fighter, an MMA fighter, and hopefully a one day a UFC fighter. And he made that dream come true. And now uh, he's got a handful of good results in the column as he tries to climb the ranks at flyweight. So without any further introduction, here's Cody Durden on Fitz Nation. Enjoy the show. Fitz Nation, let's go. I always had to be mega in the zone, ready to go out there on my shield. Be in the question and don't look for the answer because the answer is the end. Think about who I'm fighting for, fight for something greater. At the end of the day, you got to believe in yourself. It's time for the Fitz Nation podcast with your host, Brendan Fitzgerald. We got Cody Durden. Cody, smile. You're on Fitz Nation. What's My going man. on? How you doing, dude? I'm doing well, man. Just enjoying being a father, enjoying being a husband, and uh, living life a little bit. I'm back training, but uh, not really training with a purpose at the moment. You know, right. I'm there, and uh, I'm having fun. What's the aftermath? You fought October 29th, and um, I can only imagine... I can't really imagine. I guess the closest thing I have is like a big life event, like when you're getting ready for the arrival of a kid or a wedding. And then after it's there, there's this like, okay, there was all this planning. But for a fight, like you're back in the gym. But how would you describe what it's like after a fight? Uh, It's a bit of a relief, you know. Uh, so much sacrifice goes into a fight camp. You know, uh, I left, went to Coconut Creek, Florida, stayed in the dorm rooms and, uh, I was away from my family for about five weeks and it was just every day, you know, visualizing Clayton and, and the task at hand. And so, uh, yeah, man, I'm enjoying the time off. You know, I had four fights, uh, and one year time span and, uh, you know, I, I worked my tail off all year, and uh, 
now things are calming down a little bit, but I'm I'm ready to keep climbing. Ready to keep yeah. Enjoy the holidays though first. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I want to start with this, Cody. On Twitter, you're a pretty busy guy in terms of ruffling some feathers on there, right? Sometimes (laughs) they can be ruffled, you know. Sometimes, I mean, but uh, it's part of the business, you know. Yeah, like I, I see you going back and forth with O'Day Osborne right now, right? And like, uh, and then I was just listening to an interview with Charles Johnson, who's fighting this week. And uh, and he was just like, oh, me and Cody, we got to run it back. That guy was, you know, John at me or he backed out or he didn't choose me or whatever. Can you just explain like the social media philosophy that you have? Because some fighters don't take advantage of it. I think it's smart. I think it like like what you do might be a, looked at as abrasive and whatever. But in the fight business, it's a smart thing to do. Like how much thought do you put into that and kind of like like you say, it's part of the business? Well, you know, since uh, 2022, I've I've haven't called out many fighters. You know, I called out one fighter that was Jeffrey Molina. The rest of these guys are just, you know, calling me out, wanting to fight, which is cool. I'm 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 cool with that. But some of these guys just like O'Day, just overdo it. You know, like okay, I know you want to fight. That's cool. You know, I haven't turned down any UFC fights. If if right. your name comes up. Uh, I'll sign the contract, no problem. But yeah, uh, as far as you know, me looking to to start and and call my shots, you know, I, I haven't really been doing that because I called out who I wanted to fight, and uh, I didn't get the fight I suggested, and so I just you know left it at that. Yeah. But, uh, Charles Johnson, you know, he he's the one that's been barking up my uh, Twitter feed. And uh, O'Day as well, you know. I do have to give it to O'Day. That turtle uh, video he posted was funny. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. It was pretty funny. <laughs> so I'll give yeah. him that one, you know. Is it fun for you or does it get emotional for you? No, it's, it's, it's all fun, you know. It's part of the yeah. business. Uh, until we step in that cage, then uh, all that's out the door. And then, like, how would you describe – because what I – Talk to people who aren't really familiar with MMA and the UFC, but they're sports fans. To me, the great thing about the UFC is, uh, and, and MMA in general, is there's a bunch of buildup before the fight, and then there's all, generally speaking, uh, gracious and victory and defeat and respect after the fight. Right. And what I find with team sports, if you look at it from that perspective, they say all the right things leading up to the game. Right. It's all about, oh, they're a good team. We're going to have to play our best to beat them, blah, 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 blah. And then after, there might be some spats, right? There might in the locker room, they'll be like, well, they did this, the ref this, and the ref gave them th- whatever. Then, then there might be some animosity, but the game's already over. Right. What I like about like the UFC is like, no, let's build it up and then we'll make good. Right. right. And, and it's, it's even better uh, for the UFC because this is a hand-to-hand combat, one-on-one. It's you versus him, and uh, there's no excuses. Whatever happens in that cage, uh, it's it's pretty much your own fault. And yeah. uh, you know, after the fight, it's uh, there's no hard feelings. You know, shake hands, embrace each other. You know, talk about the fight and and move on. You know, Makayev and I. Yeah. After we fought, you know, we had a, a huge buildup. Uh, I love that fight because, you know, 
I, I felt like it was a challenge. The guy had never been beat. He's a young up and comer, ranked number one pound for pound amateur in the world. And, uh, you know, we had some back and forth, but afterwards, you know, he came to American top team coconut Creek and, uh, dude, we trained together. We, we had long talks in the sauna, you know, he's a cool guy. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I just, what am I to hold a grudge? You know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. I so lost the, plain and simple. The bond is there after you fight somebody. I've seen that too with like working with Paul Felder, even like Bisping and stuff like that. The bond, that like Bisping and Rockhold are cool now. You know, it's yeah. kind of funny where it's like if they see each other, they laugh about stuff. Wow. You know? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's just a very unique thing. I often wonder on fast forward what it's going to look like because – if you ever see something Hall of Fame or otherwise, like old timers and stuff, like um, kind of like in the way that like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, like they were just clashing heads and there was always respect there. And then afterwards, they, they were like buddies. Right. And like yeah. Chuck Liddell can be like probably buddies with the guys that he knocked out and lost to and all that other stuff. I often think sometimes like 20, 30 years in the future, like when Conor McGregor's 70 and Habib's like, you know, 72. Are they going to yeah. be at some UFC event? And be like, remember that man? Wow, that was you know, and buried the hatchet. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. All I right, don't so know if we'll ever see that though. That that's Habib probably the McGregor. wrong example to use. You know, that's probably <laughs> the wrong one to use. Maybe like Usman and Masvidal might be able to find their way back, whatever. Yeah. Um, or Colby and Masvidal at some point too. Um, for you though, so you're from Georgia, right? Let's get into the backstory of Cody Durden. Uh, from Georgia, how would you describe your upbringing, Cody? Uh, I mean, it was a good upbringing. My, my dad, uh, you know, he trained me to be a competitor. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money um, growing up. You know, I, I grew up in a trailer park till I was 10 years old. And uh, but he was always a hardworking guy. And uh, I am who I am today because of him. Uh, you know, we'd go to wrestling practice in middle school, high school, and we'd leave there an hour early and travel an hour to Atlanta and just to train for, for two more hours. And uh, we'd do that three, four times a week. And then I would get home at like 9, 9.30 and have to scramble to do my homework. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was good. You know, we uh, we had a good wrestling team in high school. We were two-time state champions. Uh, my senior year, I got runner-up. I lost by one point. And uh, – my dad was real hard on me, you know, when I, when I lost that match my senior year, but, uh, you know, I was never the best growing up in wrestling, but, you know, I kept, I kept after it. Why, uh, did you leave? Why did you need extra training elsewhere? Like hours away when you're in middle school and high school, what was the scenario? Well, we went to uh, this place called the Wrestling Center in Atlanta uh -huh. and it had all the, the best wrestlers there, uh, in high school. So you're from like rural Georgia. Uh, well, kind of, sort of, but yeah. you know, like say you're middle school, high school wrestling team, right? You have some good guys, but you don't have the best guys in the room. Sure. So we went to the wrestling center in Atlanta to go and, and, and wrestle the best guys, uh, in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, knowing the wrestling center, they had the best guys and that's why, that's why we made those long trips uh, wow. three, four times a week. Just what was the plan? Like why to why why seek that high level of training that young? To obtain uh, state championships. Yeah. 
You went the, and that was like, did you ever put up any resistance? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There'd be times where, man, I remember, I remember playing baseball when I was like eight years old, I had the flu and my dad made me go to practice and uh, we were running laps around the field and uh, I just couldn't breathe. And I told my dad I was dying, you know, and he was like, doesn't matter. Keep going. You know, it was very, very hard on me. Uh, Sometimes I feel like he was uh, pushed it too far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. that's, I guess that's where I get my work, work ethic and, and, uh, my drive from. Yeah. And it's still, it's, it's instilled within you. Right. Right. Even you know, now. cause there's been a lot of things, you know, I had, I had a kid when I was 20 years old and I had three college scholarships on the table and, uh, you know, I chose not to take those scholarships and, and get a job because, you know, it wasn't about me anymore. I had to right. s- support my son, which he's 11 years old now. And uh, that's what I did. I got a full time job and and, uh, you know, he lives a great life right now. Yeah. yeah. But I was still training. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, but I knew I wanted to compete. And I had a friend of mine that was a uh, amateur MMA fighter. And we were at this weightlifting gym, but they had mats. And uh, I, I showed up there and uh, I got my ass kicked every day, but I kept showing up. I, uh-huh. I would leave work at like 5 p.m. and uh, go train for two hours. And uh, that that's how I got here, you know? Yeah. Now, when you think back to your competitive wrestling days, though, like what's what would you say is an event that is that really shaped who you became? Uh, uh, it has to be when uh, the the disappointment uh, with my father after I lost by one point uh, in my state finals match. Uh, you know, all the hard work he put into me and, and then I, uh, I just was a disappointment at the time. It really, you know, it really let me know that, Hey, you, you know, you got to work harder. And on top of that, I, uh, tore my ACL my senior year and, uh, I toured in June and I came back to wrestle in January and I had one month to get ready. So I won regionals, I won area, and then I got to the state finals and I, and I made it to the state finals and, uh, I lost by one point and it, I I was just such a disappointment to my father at the time that, you know, it really made me think like, what could I have done when I had that torn ACL, you know, to, to win that state title, you know, because I didn't do much when I tore my ACL. I was just, I was rehabbing, but I wasn't doing anything else on top of that, you know? Right. And uh, that just let me know, like I was so close, but my mind wasn't there, you know? And so whenever events happen like that now, you know, if I get an injury or anything like that, there's always something else you can do, you know? Yeah. Not, it's not just, Oh, you're, you know, I could have, I could have been bench pressing. I could have been doing curls. Uh, I could have been on the bike doing rows, stuff like that. But I, I just didn't do it at the time. And that's what, what caused me to lose that, uh, wrestling match by one point was that immediate when you when you lost and when you thought about did you think of that when you were a teenager like that i could have done more yeah i did 
That's a that's a good lesson to learn that young though. Yeah, yeah. So uh that how's that how's your relationship with your dad now? Is your dad still around? It's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh you know, he, he calls me every day. Yeah. Hey, did you train today? Yeah. Hey, hey, did you uh, how many takedowns you get? You know, you yeah. work on your cardio, just little little stuff like that. How's that like for you though, now that you're a dad? Uh, it's good. I, I'm I'm grateful for the relationship I have for my father. You know, some people yeah. don't, they don't even, they don't have fathers, you know, and, right. uh, I'm blessed, you know, to, to have such a, uh, a person that cares for me like that. Yeah. That's wild. Um, I remember covering high school wrestling when I worked in Wyoming and, you know, back in Atlanta, they're not covering a lot of high school wrestling, right? Because right. there's all the pro teams and the major college teams. But in Wyoming, high school sports are kind of like the thing. And nice. uh, I remember, and I didn't really have, my high school didn't have a wrestling team. So I just was never into that world, never really understood it. You know, like combat sports in general when I was growing up just wasn't a part of my life. And I was from Boston area. So it was just such a team sports, pro sports town. And uh, I just remember being blown away by how intense the state championships were in Wyoming, which is not a big state. Even the, the biggest high schools in the state, there was only 10 of them, you know. Oh, wow. um, but still, this the intensity of the event, uh, the emotional, like the, the powerful emotions that that brings, joy and sorrow. It's, it's incredible. I can't imagine Georgia State Finals, one point, the yeah. disappointment that that brings you like yeah that that's something that'll stay in your mind forever yep exactly and you know as a father you want to give your kids everything that that you didn't have or or give them the experiences that you didn't have as a kid and uh you know i think that's that's what he did for me you know he he was he wanted me to uh be successful you know yeah well, you were successful, I would argue. I mean, getting three three scholarship offers. Okay, so then this is the part of the story too, where I know it's just very unique. Where and and I just found out too, you had a chance to go to West Point Military Academy. Yeah. Yes, sir. Now, was... where would you have gone out of those three scholarship offers? Where would you have gone and wrestled? Uh, I was really considering West Point, New York. You know, uh, yeah. being an officer in the military. But, you know, that's not easy to do. It's not easy no, to get into West Point, Cody. No, I still remember the coach's name that called me. His name was uh, Coach Rocco Mensueto. Uh huh. I just that that name I, I never forget, you know, when he gave. Yeah. Me. And you would have been in that you were cool with being all military and everything. I, I was, you know, my my grandmother was military. My grandfather's military. My uncle's in the military. So uh, on my mother's side of the family, it's it's pretty much all mil military, you know. Yeah. So, uh, the structure, the the punctuality, the stability is uh, is all embedded in me, you know. Yeah. And so, what do you remember about the realization that you're going to be a father, and then trying to make that decision? Uh, I mean, at the time, you know all I could think about was, was the week, the weekends and, and whiskey. Uh, truthfully, I was, uh, I, I, I got into the partying scene and, uh, I, I still worked. I've, I've, I've always worked, but, uh, 
I just, I wasn't prepared to be a father at the time. And then, you know, when, when my son was born, I knew everything needed to change. And that's exactly what I did. I started focusing on finding a house to buy and, and, uh, focusing on how I'm going to raise a, a child. Yeah. So you weren't ready to be a father until he was born. That was the right. moment. Right. So like while, while, while she was pregnant, while he was on the way, you still weren't there. No, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. there. Uh, I was, a it's kid. tough to be there. It's tough to be there until it's real. Right. Yeah. It is real. When he was born, it was real. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of long talks with my grandfather about, you know, putting the alcohol down and, and being a father and manning up. And, uh, that's exactly what I did. Yeah. How would you describe like, like, can you remember the thought process? Can you remember kind of becoming this different person and what it was like? Yeah. I mean, I always knew, I always told myself that I was going to be somebody, you know, that, uh, my whole life I was told that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, be successful in wrestling and, uh, I couldn't do this or that. And who would always, tell you that? Just, you know, other teammates. I was always the small guy, you know? Yeah. My yeah. Grade, my ninth grade year, I was 80 pounds and, and, wow. and I had to put weights, weights in, in my, uh, in my pants just to weigh in at 103 because it was a weight limit. It was 80 pounds and I was right there at the limit. So, uh, you know, I, I being the small guy and, and, uh, always underestimated you know so it just i I had to survive you know that's that's where my my nickname comes from custom made cody durden you know because i i made the i made the way you know i made the path uh no matter what is in my way you know i figure it out yeah and so the struggle of proving people wrong right exactly yeah. Underdog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you have to get a job. What was the job that you got when you became, I a got dad? a job at, uh, CSC Atlanta, which is a corrugated, uh, Oh, box company, a box company. That's right. Yeah. I remember your story Correct. now. Yeah. box yeah, company. Yeah. So I worked there for five years and I actually posted on Instagram. I saved all my, uh, check stubs. No way. And, uh, man, there was so many. And, I guess that's why my story is so incredible, you know, on top of having a kid, uh, on top, top of having a full-time job, you know, still making it to training every evening, there was no talent in, involved, you know, it was all hard work and, uh, having to balance all that was, was extremely, extremely hard. And, you know, there was times where you want to give up, you know, you had to pick or choose, and so when I was 25 years old, I went pro and I think I was, I think I was four and oh, five and oh, as a pro I was working for five years. I was working five, six days a week, eight to 12 hours a day and still having to manage making it to practice. So a lot of times I wouldn't get home till nine, nine thirty at night. And my beautiful wife would always have food in the microwave waiting on me. And, uh, you know, I'd eat dinner, shower and, and go to bed and wake up 5.30 a.m., do it all over again. Yeah. And there came a point when I was 25 years old where I had to make a decision whether I wanted to continue fighting or, or continue uh, working at CSC Atlanta. And my dad uh, 
he knew a friend of his that worked at this construction company that said that he would let me work uh, four tens, which is Monday through through Thursday, uh, 10 hours a day. And then I could train in the evenings and I could have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And I I took a massive pay cut, but uh, I chose to do that. So I went to work for UTech Construction and they turned me into a lineman. So I was up on power poles, you know, doing uh, electrical work and changing out light fixtures. And and I even did some underground work uh, for them, putting electrical lines in and stuff. And I did that for three years. And then finally, uh, I got the call to the UFC. Yeah. After you went pro at 25? No, no. Well, I, I did oh, that. Oh, then you were, three, yeah, you were like five years as a pro. You did yeah, that yeah, job did for, that three for three years. years. So yeah. when I was 11 and two as a pro is when I got the call to the UFC. So I was still a lineman. I was still working, you know, yeah. for, for Georgia Power, uh, I was working for UTEC construction, but they were subcontracted under Georgia power. So I was, I was a lineman. Yeah. uh, Yeah, man. I just, it was awesome when I got the call, you know? Yeah. Uh, I I remember it. I I remember that week and I remember talking to you that week. So before we get to that, because I want to go over that, but I remember working um, when I was trying to get into TV, tough business to get into. Kind of like UFC's tough business to get into when you're when you're a fighter. But I worked at a casino in Las Vegas. Are you still with? Are you yeah. still with me? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I worked on the Strip. I worked at a sports book in Las Vegas. I met my wife out here. It came out here, and I remember putting on the uniform for this job that I didn't want to do every day. Right. And I'm going to work, and I'm like. I just want to be a sports broadcaster, but here I am again, I'm putting on this uniform every day and I'm walking through the casino and I'm going to the sports book where I'm going to get help people do their sports bets and cash out, whatever, right? All this stuff, rich people at the win. And like, it wasn't like I was depressed every day, but I do remember the walk through the casino and I'm just like, what am I doing here? Some part of me was like, what am I doing here? Yeah. And the other part of me was like, this is the step that I need to take right now. And it'll right, come. Right. What do you remember thinking those three years when you're like, this is not me, but this is what I need to do right now? Well, I remember thinking that, you know, I had I had a bigger purpose, you know, yeah. uh, I always dreamed big and uh, I would be at work, you know, working on uh, secondary or primary uh, electrical work and uh i just all i could think about was getting to practice and improving and and you know that next fight that i have to win that's going to be you know that's going to be my next step towards the ufc yeah that's that's really all i could think about throughout the the day at work you know i put on the uniform every day uh as well but I, but I always knew that I had a higher purpose, you know? And did you ever, did you ever wonder if it would happen for you? I did, you know, 29 years old, 11 and two, seven fight win streaks, seven finishes in a row. And I, I, I just did everything I could to, you know, to actually be noticed, you know, yeah. uh, emailing Mick Maynard, you know, messaging Dana White on Instagram, emailing Sean Shelby. Uh, you know, calling them out on the mic uh, on the regional scene. 
showing up to Bellator events, uh, you know, talking to Rich Chow, um, you know, I just did everything I could to put myself in the, in the position I am today, you know, by showing up and showing my face at these events or even looking at the hotels where, where they're going to be staying at, you know, for that event. And that's what I did. And, and I have a great team around me. My buddy, Dr. Stephen Felton, he uh, we went everywhere together, you know, trying trying to show up and, and trying to show our face. How what is that? Pro that's a process that I don't hear much about. Um, the behind the scenes of a fighter trying to get noticed. And a lot of times it's signed with a manager who's plugged in with UFC fighters and then you'll go on the pipeline and you'll eventually get there. Who's your manager right now? Ali Abdelaziz. Oh, you're an Ali guy. Okay. Yes, so sir. you signed with Ali, you're in, you're in the system. But before that, like you weren't with Ali before you were in the UFC, were you? I was not. I was yeah. with first round management. Okay. Well, they're, they got UFC guys too. Yeah. Um, but the point being like, like even sometimes I get messages from like a fighter in like India this is very rare. This doesn't happen often, but they're just like, or, or somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in Brazil. And they're just like, please, can you, can you look up my stuff? Can you say, you know, it's like a desperation thing. Like, and I have no, I feel bad. Like, it's just like, yeah. I have no, you know, like I, I really am not that guy, but for you, like, what was that like? Like, what was that like trying to take all those steps and putting it in um, to just get, just, just get on the radar, really, you know? I mean, you just got to you, you gotta make yourself noticed, you know? Just like, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't know if, if the UFC was going to call. And uh, I was going to UFC events, and I was going to Bellator events. Uh, mm -hmm. My coach, Diego and Douglas Lima, you know, um, Douglas was fighting for the title, and – he was in the tournament. So I was going to the Bellator events and, uh, I remember Douglas introduced me to rich, uh, at the time, the Bellator mat matchmaker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know if I was gonna, you know, get a call from the UFC or, or if Bellator was going to be my home, but I knew I wanted to get to a bigger promotion, but I always, it, it, I always love the UFC, you know, that's the yeah. top organization, the best fighters in the world. And, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for my position in the UFC. It's a job that's a hell of a lot of fun and has made me a better person. And, uh, I'm thankful for the people that I work with and the people that I met like you. How do you think it's made you a better person? Well, uh, you know, we've had, tr I've had a lot of, uh, trial and errors throughout, throughout my UFC career, you know, yeah. uh, the Jimmy Flick fight, um, just getting like, I, I was, I was real comfortable in the beginning of part of my career, you know, and, uh, you know, the losses have, have really humbled me and, and let me know that I have to work harder. You know, there's people out there that are staying in dorm rooms like Kyoji Horiguchi. He lived at eight American top team for three years and that's all he did was train. Yeah. And there's guys out here, the, the younger generation or guys my age that are still doing the same thing. You know, they're always training. And, uh, 
that's that's what you got to do if you want to be the best. It's tricky though, Cody, because like you have a wife, you have kids, like it's tricky to be like, I'm going to go live in a dorm for a year. I need to put everything into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My wife gives me about six weeks max. Yeah. Oh, for camps and all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. for camps, you know, right. but, but, you know, after, after the fight in June, uh, we had a good time in July. Um, I took about a two weeks off and went on vacation with my family and I came back, got back to training and I thought I was going to get a short notice call. So I left and went back to coconut Creek for three weeks. Mm-hmm just to stay in, uh, you know, the groove and stay in shape. But I, I, I never got the call. So I came back home and, uh, and then right when I got back home, I, I, I got a fight offer. It was like, there you go. October, yeah. you know, then, then you went, yeah. so then right, right. at the end of September, I left, uh, and went back to training camp. Yeah. And it's a lot better that way. You know, it's, it's hard. So you live, so you live in Atlanta or the Atlanta area. Right. But then Camps, you go down to Florida, ATT. Right. Florida. Yes, sir. Yeah. And you do the dorm life and just tunnel just vision. Focus, focus on training and, and train with the best guys in the world, you know? Yeah. Paul Felder tells me that he misses that. When I asked him, what do you miss about being a fighter? And he says the training camps. Because he would do the same thing. He'd go from Philadelphia, he'd go to Milwaukee. He'd live on a mattress in the back of the gym at Rufus Sport with like a microwave and a hot plate. And he would just, that was it. He was like, my focus you know, you'd go home maybe like two, one or two days uh, yeah. for the course of six, seven weeks, depending on how he set it up. And he looks back on it and he's just like, there's there's almost nothing in life that you can do like that, where you're that focused on one thing. Right. You right. Know? Which is we- like, in a way it's healthy, but in a way it's crazy. And as long as it's a, a short term thing, I think it's it can be a healthy thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Fighting is short term, you know, right. And we, we only, we only have uh, a certain amount of window to fight in and uh, you got to, you have to do the best you can and give it your all while you're here, you know, because uh, it can be taken away in an instant. Yeah. So 2020 in the summer, right now, first of all, that's squ- like square in the middle of the fear of the pandemic, the first four months, five months of the pandemic um, where the most was shut down for you, like as a fighter, because I remember like regional fighters too, probably had it even worse. At least UFC fighters, their pet, you know, who knows what was going to happen, but we were going to find a way to figure it out. Regional promotions don't have that kind of resources and backing to try to figure it out. Um, what do you remember about the early days of the pandemic in in regards to what you thought it might do to your fight career? Uh, I mean, I fought March. I think I fought March seventh. And then yeah, one month, week before, yeah, one week before I fought March 7th and uh, I won via submission in the first round. And then I fought July 18th. Um, oh, okay. Right after, right after uh, I was the first, I was the last show before COVID. And then I was the first show uh, back on uh, in Atlanta when they could run uh, shows. Yeah. And uh, so I, I won that one via uh, first round TKO, and I still I still had to sh- go to work every day, and uh, and I was still training at, at my house. I had uh, two of my good training partners uh, come to my house, and we just trained in my garage, just the three of us. Yeah. And, uh, so right after I fought July eighteenth, 
I got a call from the UFC and uh, I fought two weeks later. I fought Chris Gutierrez. What do you got, remember about getting that call? Who did the call come from? Uh, it came from first round management at the time. Okay. Your manager and, calls. Uh, I just remember, I just remember uh, I was on the way to the gym and he was like, Hey man, uh, you know, do you, we, we got a fight offer. I was like, okay, no problem. And then he was like, it's the UFC. I was like, they want to offer you a four fight contract. I was like, awesome. And then he said, the only thing is you're fighting next weekend. Do you want it? And I said, uh, uh, and all I could think about was that whole week I was working and, and drinking margaritas and eating Mexican food and just in, enjoying my week off because I had just fought. And then I was like, fuck it, let's do it, you know? And yeah. uh, so then uh, I got to the gym. I, I told my coach, I called Diego Lima. Yeah, I, I ended up taking the fight on six-day notice, and I got the first ever unanimous draw in UFC history. Was that what it was? Was it all three draw? Yep. I remember it was a draw against Chris, but I didn't know it was the first ever unanimous <laughs> draw. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and that was up at Bantamweight. It was up a weight class. And that's pretty good, man. You, like, that's one of those results. It's not a win or a loss, but it's a result in your rearview mirror. It looks pretty good based on what Chris Gutierrez has done, too. Yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete, and uh, it just shows you how tough I am. Yeah. How would you describe your time in the UFC so far? Uh, the first few fights was, was kind of rough for me. Mm -hmm. You know, when I fought Jimmy Flick, uh, I had a bunch of... Uh, I had an injury, some injuries. I had, uh, I had pink eye, I had a broke toe and, uh, you know, I just felt like I wasn't at my best and I probably shouldn't have fought, you know, I tore my ACL in that fight and, uh, looking back, you know, I just, I probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have fought, but you know, I'm, I'm tough and I, and I usually always show up and right. I pride myself on that, you know? Um, but here recently, you know, I, I felt like, uh, since the ACL surgery, I've had four fights and I've won three out of the last four. And, uh, I feel like I'm I'm back in my stride, you know. My, yeah. My work ethic is there, my discipline's there, and most of all, my mental's there. How do you think your mental's, you know, the mental aspect of the game has developed recently? Well, you know, when you first come in the UFC, you know, you you really don't know, you know, how good you are. You know, how good am I? These guys are the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so you just really, you know, I feel like uh, I'm experienced now and, and I've been through a lot and I've fought fights that I've lost that maybe I should have won or fights that I've uh, won that maybe I should have lost. And, uh, you know, with the experience in the UFC, it just you just build off of it. You right. Know? And uh, I, I really feel like I, I mean, I know I belong now. Yeah. Um, as you look forward, what do you think? Like, what do you think as you sit here now, kind of in the, the valley of after you peaked over that last fight and the win over, uh, Rodriguez recently, like, what do you think when you think of your future? Well, uh, you know, I wrote down my goals for 2023, uh, a few days ago, and, uh, I want to fight a top 15 guy and, and, uh, 
I want to beat a top 15 guy. And uh, I just, I just want to continue to climb the ladder and, and, you know, renew my contract with the UFC and, and just continue to provide for my family. Yeah. Good, good things, Cody. Thank you. Thank good you. Plans I'm, trying. To have. I'm trying, man. I'm trying my best. Yeah, man. Um, well, I think you have a phenomenal story. That's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. I mean, the, the work ethic instilled as a, as a kid has certainly went a long way, but I think, um, I think you're great proof of somebody that when life throws you a real big curveball, it doesn't mean it's over. Exactly. Right? You can find a way around it. Yeah. And I imagine for you, that's like, since you learned that, it's probably shown up in other areas of your life along the way. It's very tough to shake somebody like that. Right, right. And, you know, uh, I do a lot of things. Well, n- not just me, but my wife. My wife's the or- orchestrator of, of things. Uh, in, in my life. And, yeah. uh, you know, we do a lot of charity work behind the scenes that, you know, I don't even post about because I feel like I, I don't need to gloat about it. You know what I mean? Right. But it, it's it's funny to me how, you know, people will, will bash you or say things about you on Twitter, but they don't even know you. You know, I've 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 done so much charity work. Uh, my wife and I have bought uh, kids Christmases when when they don't have anything. And uh, I just feel like, you know, your platform lets me uh, get out the real me. Yeah. And and so you can know a little bit more about me and who I am as a person, a father, a husband uh, and and what my goals and what I stand for. Yeah. What kind of charity work? So uh, my a friend of mine, Dr. Scott Barbara, he owns. this foundation called the big timers foundation. And we got together and, uh, we raised 80,000. Like we bought $85,000 in gifts, uh, for a community in Atlanta. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's not a very good community in Atlanta. Um, I would say it's more of the poor side of Atlanta. Sure. And we showed up there, uh, in 2020, right after the Jimmy flick fight. And we handed out gifts, uh, $85,000 worth of gifts. Wow. That's and fantastic. So, uh, man. When, when I did that, you know, uh, I did it because, you know, cause I'm blessed to be where I am right now. And, yeah. and I always, I always like to give back, you know, it, it, it makes me feel good, you know, yeah. smile and to see their expression and to, to just know for that moment in their life, you know, you brought a smile to their face is, is it makes me feel good. It makes me happy, you know? Yeah. That's something that I, early in the pandemic, I was like, when I get back to doing shows with fans, I'm going to do giveaways. Like I'm really going to give back. And these are people that have bought tickets to an event. It's, it's different than, uh, you know, a a charity like that, but just the act of giving is something that, I I mean, we can all do more of, you know, I haven't, I haven't done $80,000 worth of toys, to a community that's i mean that's really phenomenal but it doesn't matter if you can't do that like uh now i've only done two shows in arenas since the pandemic i i obviously the apex is still busy but um yeah. you know it's like my thing is like every single time i'm among the fans it's like i'm gonna find something and i'm gonna give it you know right, right. it's just I, it's like the way the world goes around you know now i'm not saying that uh you know i 
I was a small part of the 85. Of course, of course. It's not like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's like the effort to do stuff. Right. You know, it's the effort. And and a lot of times, the fact that you, you know, it's easier to give money and not do anything, right? Right. The the act of going there and giving, right? Because I can donate to a food bank. I can say, here's 150 bucks. But isn't it more valuable if I were to go serve meals, right? Right. So there's giving in all sorts of ways. And that's something that I've always thought this show can be as it continues to grow, um, where it's like, like, I don't have merch because I'm just like, I don't, you know, but if I ever sell T-shirts, just like, no, I'm not going to I'm not trying to get rich on selling T-shirts. I'm trying like use yeah. this for good. You know what I mean? So, absolutely. you know, there's a big picture to it all. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I got to know you in this form, Cody. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Oh, man. Shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Apparel and uh, Barber Orthopedics and Spine. I'm very grateful for uh, them. You know, they've been with me uh, every fight since I've been in the UFC and before the UFC. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thankful for all the fans and, and the people who support me. I appreciate you. Nice, man. Well, thanks for doing this show, Cody. Appreciate it. And uh, all the best Thanksgiving, Christmas, the new year. When do you want to get back in there? Uh, February, March. February. All right. At February, I think February, I'll be at my best, you know? Um, that's when, yeah, that's when you can dip and peak again. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I got to I gotta get through the holidays with the family first. Exactly, exactly. The holidays time is, is pretty good. Uh, Cody, thanks again, man. You keep Thank ruffling you. some feathers on Twitter, but in a healthy way. And uh, your stare downs are epic. You always bring it on the stare downs. We like energetic stare downs. It's good TV. It's good, uh, it's good energy for for what you're about to do. And of course, I mean, there's not many people who have, uh, you know, uh, what, 14 wins, 11 finishes and 14 wins in that weight class. I mean, your your finish rate is great. So can't wait to see you back in there. I hope I'm on the call for it. Hey, thank you for having me on Fitz Nation. There you have it, folks. Another episode in the books. As always, if you want to watch these episodes, you can check that out on UFC Fight Pass. I know I say I have exciting plans for the show all the time, but I really do after letting my brain kind of think about where this show can go and how I can record it and what the next step is, right? Because I'm still, you know, in my home office doing it virtually uh, as I've done since firing the show back up in interview form in 2020. And I want to get back to doing in-person episodes. And so I've been really looking at different ways to try to make the best shows possible. So uh, I hope to make that a reality in 2023, but very soon in 2023, January, February, March, um, first quarter of next year, I hope to have, you know, just take the next step in the show, give you guys great content in all forms, video, audio, and do these shows in person with some of the biggest names in MMA in the UFC and maybe branch out a little bit, maybe start making it about other things I find interesting that I think if you're a fan of this show, you'd find interesting too. So again, I'll say happy Thanksgiving weekend and uh, we fire back up another fight week next week in Orlando. I won't be there, but uh, glad to see a fight night get back out on the road before a couple of events in Las Vegas to round out the year. We'll see you next time on Fitz Nation.